turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3. We are beginning this year taking a road trip. We'd like to answer the question, how can Christian families thrive as they travel through today's culture? Now, this is a question that I've been asking for a lot of years. In fact, uh, I started asking this question of what is a Christian family and how do you actually move forward? I did not grow up in a Christ-centered home. I came to Christ when I was at college at the University of Oregon, and one of my key mentors a guy who was about 12 years older than myself. Uh, he took a real vested interest in me. He answered all my questions. I'm a guy, if you know me, I always have lots of questions. Don't necessarily have a lot of answers, but I got a lot of questions. And he'd even sometimes bring me just to his home, just for, him, for me to see what this looks like. And that is the question we need to ask. How is it that we can do this and do this well? We're living in a culture right now that is coming apart at the seams. We are breaking through moral boundaries at a pretty rapid pace. And if you're like me, you're going, how can we as parents and grandparents, as kids and a family, as people who are married, how can we thrive? Now, I have to tell you that Sometimes I feel like I'm just surviving, okay? I've got four kids, two cats, one wife, you know, I've got a lot of responsibilities. I'm, and at times I feel like I'm doing good to survive, okay? And I just tell you, sometimes I just have to move into survival mode. However, I do believe that God actually wants us to thrive. And how is it that you can do that? Now, I am uh, far from perfect. I've got a lot of mistakes, things I wish I could do differently. I don't have, like, all the answers, but if I could just give you one sentence, pass on how is it that you and I could thrive, I would pass on this sentence. Relationships are designed for much more than our happiness. They are for God's glory and his people's holiness. We got the idea that relationships are about making us happy. In fact, that is the orientation of a lot of folks that it's like, does this make me happy? Does this person make me feel good about myself? Am I cheerful around this individual? And we, are, we kind of remove ourselves from those that aren't fitting that bill. And if we are Christians that are serious about maturing in Christ, we have actually have to come to terms with our ugly attitudes. We've got to confront selfishness, pride, arrogance in our life. We have got to be honest about these things. And let me tell you something else we need to let go of. We need to let go of this idea of simple fixes. That if we, can, we just have three simple little steps, you do this and your marriage or your family life is going to be wonderful. Because if that is your mentality, then what happens is that as soon as those simple little fixes don't work because they are superficial, you, start, you almost become callous to the idea of growing. And it, and it leaves you disenchanted and perhaps disenfranchised and maybe even disengaged. What we really need is transformation at a heart level. And you know where that comes from? It comes from knowing Christ and applying his word. It's a work of the spirit of God. Now, any situation in your life that confronts you with your selfishness and your arrogance is actually a wonderful opportunity for growth. And there's probably no better way to grow than to be in relationships, a close relationship with other people. Now, God is far more interested in your holiness than your happiness. Now, the two are not mutually exclusive, like, oh man, what am I going to be, holy or happy? You know, 
Uh, it's not like, well, if I'm holy, I'm going to be miserable, okay? Actually, if you are holy, you're experiencing being set apart to God. It actually leads to a lot of happiness in your life because that is how God has designed us to live, especially as those who are in Christ. Now, if you think that your marriage or your family is all about your happiness, though, then what happens is when things aren't happy at home or your wife is not really making you all that happy or your kids are not gee, man, there's a lot of other things that I want to be doing besides being around them, or you're starting to resent your husband, what happens is you actually start pulling out and you start becoming disengaged. You need to know that the transforming work that God does at a deep level happens in the context of significant relationships. And you can't do better than a family where you're in this 24 hours a day, seven days a week through the good times and the struggles. The question is, you've got to answer this. How are you going to approach life as a self-centered individual or a God-centered individual? Because you're going to end up in one of those two camps in terms of your primary orientation. If you have a self-centered perspective, then happiness, your happiness, specifically your happiness, becomes your primary virtue that you're always pursuing. And you're going to start jettisoning or distancing yourself from anyone or anything that's causing a breakdown in happiness. And so you see this. You see lots of marriages where one person starts to withdraw. You see families that just start to work in isolation. And what happens is they're, they're self-centered in their orientation. They're not advertising that as far as verbally saying it, but it, you can see it from their behavior. And what happens is someone's not making them happy, so they start to withdraw. And that pattern can kind of continue. Then, it, then you start developing coping mechanisms or a pattern where you start just engaging in other things. Like, for instance, you throw yourself into your work or your hobby, or you just start gaming, or you just start, and you spend extended time doing that, or it's all about the TV, and you start putting more and more distance, or maybe you start reading novels, and they're trashy novels, but it's like a fantasy escape, and this happens. This is prevalent. Do you know why all that trash sells in front of the grocery store aisles as you go in there? Because people buy it, and there are a lot of women looking for escapes, and what happens is like, not only women are looking for escapes, but men are like, oh man, this is not my idea of marriage. And so then they slip off and they go off into not only throwing themselves into hobbies, but they might actually start moving into pornography. And you want to escape because life is painful. And after all, it's all about your happiness. So what happens is you find something that tries to bring you some temporary relief. Alcohol becomes a drug of choice. Medication, legal, or drugs that are illegal. All of a sudden, you can find that starting to weave itself in the fabric of your life because it's all about your happiness and you're not happy, so you need some sort of relief. And then, of course, if you continue this pattern with self-centeredness, it can lead you to completely abandon your relationship altogether. You get yourself involved with another person that makes you happy at that time. It's absolutely wrong. It's immoral. And it leads to a complete breakdown of what God is seeking to do in your life. But if you're self-centered, let me just tell you, that's probably where you're headed. On the other hand, there is a God-centered approach to life. And here, you are actually taking an active interest and you are engaging yourself in the process of growing even when it is hard. You realize that it's, a, it's through trials that God really develops his people. A heart transformation takes place when we go through the deep and the hard and the difficult times. We don't run from it. 
we actually see that God is moving us through. We're going to learn a lot about ourselves. We're going to grow and mature as God addresses issues in our heart. We're going to stop trying to change that other person, whether that be our spouse or our kids, so much as we are trying to see, God, would you transform me and make me into the image of your son? And so if this is going to happen, there are five commitments found in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 21, that are absolutely essential if families are going to thrive. And What we're going to answer is this question. What makes a family distinctly a Christian family? What does a Christian family look like? Let me give you these five commitments. The first one is you want to be growing in believing your identity in Christ. Look at verse 12. He says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. In this great passage on relationships, and it's really going to focus on family relationships It all begins with your identity in Christ. And notice what he says, so as those who have been chosen of God. It actually speaks to the fact that God has conveyed a unique status upon those whom he loves. In fact, this love, God's love for you, it didn't start like the day you placed your faith in Christ. If you read your Bibles, and we would never know this apart from Scripture, that we find out like in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 that God actually chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You're like, what? God actually loves you and placed his love upon you even before the foundation of the world. You're loved far more than you ever give God credit for. He loves you with an eternal love. He has chosen you, and notice what else he says. You are holy. That word has the idea of being set apart. So for instance, like in the tabernacle and they had all those vessels, those vessels were holy to the Lord. They were set apart for God's purposes. And you need to know that you as a believer in Christ, you are holy. You are actually set apart from him. You are positionally completely set apart unto him for his purposes. And he wants you to realize that in a practical level. He wants you to grow in an understanding that you are set apart from him. You need to know that when you place your faith in Christ and you turn from your sin and you turn to Christ, that life isn't about you, it's about him. And when it's really about him, you're going to experience what God intended for life for you. So you're holy, and notice what else he says. Not only are you set apart for his purposes, but you are, what does the text say? You are beloved. You are deeply loved by God. He has set you apart for you to know the love of God. Now, you may not see God as overly loving. And if you came from a home where maybe love wasn't expressed a lot, that is kind of your default setting. You need to know that God unconditionally loves you. Even on your worst days, did you know that God loves you absolutely and completely? It's in the culture and in the environment of God's unconditional love that you and I grow. And that's why we need to have this understanding of our identity in Christ. We have to keep going it over and over. In fact, you want to see your identity in Christ? Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 says, this is a mystery that's been hidden, but it's been revealed. And that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That God actually takes up residency in your life so that you are inextricably united with him, or like it says in Ephesians 3.17, that Christ dwells in your hearts by faith. He lives, he's at home in your heart. And that means that he's cultivating holiness, 
and he wants you to know how much you were loved by him. And if you were trying to understand this, it's kind of like a newborn baby. When that newborn baby makes entrance into the world, everybody has high hopes that the baby is going to grow and mature. It is a slow, ongoing process that brings the baby to physical and emotional maturity. Well, you need to know that God has the same intent for his children. He wants you to grow to the fullness of maturity. And that all gets started by reinforcing your identity in Christ. If you're new to Fellowship Bible Church and you're like, this is a totally different church. What, what exactly are you after? We're after people coming to truly know Jesus Christ. We are not into superficiality. We're into the gospel and we are into people growing into the fullness of maturity in Christ. God wants his people fully mature. That means that they are knowing God and his word, that his relationship with Christ as they're abiding in him is shaping their character. They're being transformed from the inside out and is affecting their relationships at home with the people they work with in the dorm, where they go to school, on their team, and is also starting to affect how they go about their careers, which is their, a big part of their ministry, that God is changing us in every aspect. We're into the fullness of maturity. That's because that's what God is after. In fact, that's Paul's mission statement in Colossians 1, 28, 29. He says, this, we present every man complete in Christ. We are giving ourselves fully to people's maturity. That's what God wants for his people. And you know, you and I live in a culture where we are always bombarded that our significance and identity is found in how good looking we are, how much money we got, what kind of status, what we've done lately, our accomplishments. You need to know that your identity is secure in Christ and the Christian family keeps reinforcing that over and over because how you see yourself shapes how you live. Who are you? You were chosen by God. You were holy and you were beloved. And he wants us to live and grow in that truth. Let me give you another commitment of a Christ-centered family that's thriving. And that is they are growing and serving, communicating, and loving one another. Now, uh, we believe that families and marriages, they should be based on love. Our problem is, is that we have kind of a naive understanding of what love is. In fact, in English, we only have one word for love. It's love, right? Okay, we can love all sorts of things. Shoes, tennis, uh, tennis our dog, person. You know, it says, I love, right? The Greeks, they're a little more sophisticated. They actually had four words for love. They had, for instance, eros, which has the idea of physical and sexual attraction. It's a legitimate, necessary aspect of marital love. There's eros. There's also had another word, phileo, which it speaks of a brotherly love, a friendship, a companionship. So like Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. At least that's what their name is, okay? They're not so nice with their football team, but they're supposed to be. They're the city of brotherly love. Then they also had another word that's storge. And storge speaks of a family or a social or even a patriotic kind of love, you know, like love of country, love of family, storge. And then the final word that they had, that Christians completely capitalized was agape love. This is a love that is based on a commitment of the will, and it's not respective to how desirable the object of that love is. It's how God loves us. He loves us with an agape love. And think about how God loves us. We were what? Well, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, right? Totally missing the mark. We are self-centered. Maybe we're angry with God. You know, we're, we're out there doing all these things that we shouldn't be doing. We're having conversations we should have no part of. We're saying things. We're doing things. Our attitudes reflect a lack of no, knowledge of God. It's in that state God loves us. How much? 
All you have to do is think of Jesus. If you want an understanding of his love, you just think of Christ. Think especially of him dying on the cross for you and rising again. Why? Because he loves us. And God wants this kind of love, the love that he has for his people. He wants it being manifested through his people. And he actually has given his spirit to actually produce this kind of love of choice, a love of will that I will love you even if you're not so lovable, even if you're difficult, even if you're hard, even if you make me feel bad, I'm still committed to loving you because love is a choice, it is a decision, it's an act of the will, and that's how God loves his people. And that is the kind of love that he's seeking to develop in his folks, in his people, those who are his children. It is a sense of definite commitment of commitment to you. And so if you want to grow and have a thriving family, you want to be growing and serving, putting another's interest in before your own, communicating this kind of love. Uh, you do it with your words, you do it with your body language, facial expressions, you do it with your attitude. You communicate and you love. And so what he says here in Colossians 3 verse 12, he says, I want you as those who are chosen of God, holy and beloved, I want you to put on, and he's going to describe the characteristics of what does love look like in action. And so it's very much the idea like Matt was talking about last week of putting on clothing. Okay. So for instance, we recognize a lot of people by their attire. If you see someone that's got military fatigues on or military uniform, you know that they're in our military and you walk up there and you thank them for their service to our country. If you see someone running around with a white lab coat, you recognize they're probably in the medical profession. Their clothing gives them away. It was Mark Twain. He's the one who said, a policeman in plain clothes, he's a man. In his uniform, he is 10. Isn't that the case? You see a plain clothes police officer, you think, just another guy, another gal. They put the uniform on, <gasps> you know, for all, man, we're all like checking your speed limit. You know, we see them, we're making sure we're not jaywalking. Because Why? They're like 10. We can tell who they are because they got the clothing on. Let me tell you, people are to know us because we are clothed with the character of Christ. And you are involved in that process. It is not passive. How many of you, just this morning, you just walked into your closet and the clothes just came on, just like that. Look, I'm even matching. Did that happen to anybody? Anybody got the Superman effect going on? No, you were actually involved in that process, weren't you? your arms, your shirt, whatever you have to do, right? You are involved in the process of putting on the character of Christ. That's why he says, put this on. And so he's doing to describe what this looks like. You might want to just put your name in front of each one of these. Your name, Bill or Sally, am I? And so he describes what does love look like in, the ac in action. He says, put on a heart of compassion. This has the idea that you're, there's a sympathy, and it's heartfelt that comes from your life. It's the opposite of insensitivity or callousness. He says, put on a heart of compassion, kindness. This is treating other people without harshness. It's to treat them with respect or honor. And, you know, there's kind of like these crabby attitudes that start developing in families if, you don't, if you're not proactive on this. And what happens is that we're not generous with our time or our praise or encouragement. But God wants us to put on kindness. I mean, there's some guys, they just show up and they expect that their wives have got their meal ready and they sit down and they plow through all that food and they just walk off and they never once say thank you or even show any sign of appreciation or acknowledgement of the effort that goes into that. That person needs to learn kindness. Kindness is a smile, pat on the back. It's a, a word of encouragement. It's an invitation to do lunch. It's, a, it's to help. It's expressing kindness 
God is seeking to develop this kind of heart among his people, and it's reflected in our character. Notice what else he says. Not only putting on compassion and kindness, but I want you to have humility. This means that you have a proper estimation of yourself, that you are not like a self-debasing attitude, like, I'm just terrible at everything, you know, and you're just kind of groveling around in the dirt. That's not what humility is. Humility is seeing yourself for who you really are in Christ. And it's not trying to, uh, to exalt yourself before others. That's humility. Humility is going to go a long ways in your families and your relationships. And related to that is gentleness. You see that? Uh, gentleness has, might be translated in your Bibles, meekness. It's really power under control. It's used of a powerful horse that is actually now under the control of its master, its rider. It's got great power and great potential, but it's under control. That's what gentleness is. Or if you need another word for this, it's tact, that you deal with people with respect and honor tactfully. And if you're like, oh man, wait a second, I'm a tough guy. I don't, know. I don't even use the word gentle. Never been used to describe me. But you're like, man, dude, it's in the Bible, gentle. What does that look like? It looks like Jesus. You want to see gentleness? You just like to see how Jesus, and there was never a man like Jesus. That's what gentleness looks like. And notice what else he says, patience. This is the Greek word makrothumia. It means long-fused, long-suffering. You and I, we need patience in our relationship. We can't be acting impulsively or acting out of lack of self-control God is developing through his spirit the ability for us to be patient with one another. And we need patience with one another because you know what? Every relationship, we hurt each other, right? It's going to happen. If you're close with one another, you're going to step on each other's toes sometimes. You need patience. And God is seeking to develop that, and he wants that manifested in your life. That means that you stay in the game. You don't withdraw as soon as it's not going your way. Now, we've got to be careful God did not expect his people to be destroyed. If you're in a situation where you're being abused or you're being asked to do something that's illegal or immoral, you need to pull distance. But make sure that it's not because of your personal preference. This isn't going the way I want it. That's why you're pulling out. Patience. And then notice what he says. He starts summing this all up. Bearing with one another. That means that we endure. We're not taking the path of least resistance, but that we are with one another. This has almost become countercultural. I mean, people just like, as soon as a relationship, eh, I don't really like you, it's not going so well, we're done. This church, someone, someone said something, didn't make me happy, I'm out of here. Marriage, family, you start to withdraw. What you want to do is, like the scripture says, You've got a commitment to grow in bearing with one another. And if that is going to be reality, you need the rest of this verse because you are going to have hurt feelings. You love, you extend yourself. At times, you're going to be hurt. And some people are like, man, I've been hurt once. I am closing down. I'll smile on the outside, but on the inside, man, I have got this wall up and no one gets in. I've been hurt. I will not be hurt again. Actually, what you need to hear is the rest of this verse forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Forgiveness is such a huge subject. And I don't have the time to go into this in depth, but we have on multiple occasions. On our website, you go to messages and you will click and you will find forgiveness. 
If this is something that you need to do or you're really wrestling with this, please let, listen to that so the fullness of Scripture can come to bear in your situation. We talk about how to do it, what that really looks like, some of the challenges that come with it. But you need to understand that if you don't forgive, there are, there are serious implications. You see, we're to forgive like Christ forgave you. How did Jesus forgive us? Was it conditional? It was actually unconditional. Even today, when we sin, he still loves us and we experience forgiveness every time we just come before him and we confess, which means to agree that our sin was not in keeping with his holiness. So why is forgiveness so important? Let me give you two real key reasons. Forgiveness reflects God's character. Forgiveness reflects God's character. It gives you an opportunity to extend to others what God has given to you. If you want to experience what it means to represent Christ well in your family, then you're going to want to forgive. And I'm not saying that that's going to be easy, but you need to know that that's how God has forgiven us unconditionally. And when we forgive like that, it, it reflects his character. Let me tell you something else why it's so important. It's because forgiveness releases us. It releases us from bitterness and resentment it actually frees you. If you will not forgive, I, let me just tell you what's going on. You got physical issues that are starting to develop. People start developing ulcers. They get high blood pressure. What happens is they, there's physical issues that take place because of a lack of forgiveness. But not only does it affect you bodily, it affects you emotionally. You start getting twisted. You won't release the individual. You think like, I want to make them pay, man. And I, my lack of forgiveness in their life is going to really inflict some damage because I want revenge. I don't want this forgiveness. Let me tell you, you're twisting and you're being contorted. And you continue on that path, you end up getting older and you get real bitter and real sour. It releases us emotionally. But let me tell you something else it does. It releases us spiritually. If we will not forgive, despite how much the scriptures talk about it, what happens is it seems to start gumming up our fellowship with God. We find it hard to pray with all sincerity. We, the whole idea of like sharing the gospel with others, it, it, hap, it just becomes absent. Do you know why? Because of the lack of forgiveness, which is inherent to the gospel. And furthermore, it not only affects our prayer life, it affects our spiritual vitality. And you move away from wanting to minister to others because a lack of forgiveness starts winding you into a self-centered pattern. And friends, it is a miserable place to be. Is there someone you need to forgive? Well, the text says, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And you know how God forgives, don't you? He releases us and he chooses not to remember. In the New Covenant, Hebrews 8, 12, it says this, for I'll be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. We know God is omniscient. That means he knows all things. Of course, he can remember all of our sins and all the wicked things that we've done and said, right? He knows all the times we fail. He chooses not to remember them because he always sees us in Christ, united with the Savior, never in our sin. And that's how we're to go about it. We release people, and every time that comes back, and if you've been hurt significantly, and most of us have, just I distinctly remember forgiving that individual. Lord, help me to live in that release. And then he says in verse 14, as he's kind of closing this up on this particular verse, he says, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Love 
a love for God and God's love flowing through us, it brings unity. It brings unity in a marriage. It brings unity in a family. It brings unity in a church. It is his love being expressed through his people and it brings about unity. It's a perfect bond of unity because it actually comes from God. You know, it says we love because he first loved us. 1 John 4.19. Do you know why you can love like this? Because God first loved us. But then you know what the next verse says? If anyone says, someone says, you know, I love God, but I hate my brother or my kids or my spouse. Do you know what the scripture says? If you say that, you are a, you know what he says? You're a liar. <laughs> what? That's right. And then he goes on, if that's, if that's troubling for you, let me help you to understand this. And John goes on to write, for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I want your heart, God is communicating. I want to change you from the inside out. I want you to know my love and I want you to express it to the people in your lives. I want you to be true. I want you to be consistent. I want you to know me and show me. You see, love is like a glue that holds us together and it's like oil. It makes the machine runs better. If, you, if you're having some family difficulties and which of us haven't at different times, God's love is the answer. God's love flowing through you. And let me tell you, love is a commitment of the will. It's a choice and it's a decision. That's what agape love is. It is a decision to love even the unlovable. That's how God loves us. That's how God wants us to learn to love one another. And let me tell you, if you let Jesus get a hold of your heart in this way, it is going to transform your relationships because you are different. Stop trying to change your spouse and your kids all the time or parents, like I'll just teach my parents and modify them to get them the way I want them to be. No, you say, God, change me from the inside out and teach me to love like this. And I assure you, your relationships will be transformed. You know, our relationships, they're kind of like a mirror. They, they help us to see like, oh man, I'm missing a button or I got this huge stain on my shirt. Man, I didn't see that. But relationships have a way of showing us. They also have a way of showing us like a mirror, like, man, that shower did me a lot of good. I got a lot of dirt off my face. I'm looking a lot better now. Hey, that was good. Your relationships show progress in Christ. They're designed to do that. And so what we need to do is we need to nourish this kind of love in our relationships. I've heard on good authority, because the lady told me this, that there are some women that feel like they have to love their kids, but loving their husband is an option. I, I have to love my kids, and so I will. But my husband, that's an option. Uh, I'll pick and choose if I'm going to do that. And then there are some men, and they kind of have this grid that goes through their head. Does this make me happy? And will it be, help me advance either my personal goals or my career goals? If it does, I'm going to be engaged. And if it doesn't, man, I'm pulling out or I'm going to do the bare minimum. Do you know why? They are approaching life from a self-centered perspective. And let me give you a very dangerous question since we're talking about marriage. This is a spiritually very dangerous question. Don't ask it. And that is this. Did I marry the right person? Did I marry the right person? If you're serious about pursuing spiritual growth, especially in marriage, um, you need to understand what growth and holiness looks like. In Ann Tyler and her novel, A Patchwork Planet, um, she has this 32-year-old kind of character, and he's the narrator in this. And, and he finds himself, he divorced his wife, 
And he finds himself in a career where he's dealing with a lot of really old couples, okay? And I want you to just read, I want to read this little excerpt from this book. He says, I I was beginning to suspect that it made no difference whether they'd married the right person. Finally, you're just with who you're with. You've signed on with her. You put in a half century with her, grown to know her as well as you know yourself or even better. And she's become the right person or the only person might be more to the point. I wish someone had told me that earlier. I'd have hung on then. I swear I would. I never would have driven Natalie to, to leave me. So do you want to really thrive in your family? There is a commitment, a commitment to serve, a commitment to communicate anything about, you want to communicate about everything, faith, football, you want to communicate about forgiveness, about feelings, you want to engage, your family needs your voice. You can't just block out, well, I don't like to talk, I'm a man of few words. You need to grow and mature. Your family needs to hear from you. You need to communicate and you need to demonstrate love. And it's at times going to be hard. It's going to go against the grain, but you want to grow and just start taking these next steps. Now, uh, don't get the idea that you're going to just be able to survive like in your marriage on romance alone. Our culture, they promote it's all about romance and it's all about feelings. Feelings are short-lived and romance, it sometimes shatters. But love, the kind of love that God wants to develop in you and I, it's a commitment even when the romance is not there. I heard Stephen Curtis Chapman at a concert one time say, you know, I really love my wife, and he sings songs about his wife, and he makes a lot of money doing that. He says, but one time, he was at the time, he said, sometimes we'd like to trade each other in for a nice cold Diet Coke, okay? And that's real, because sometimes it's like, oh, man, it's hard, right? But when you got God's love, you're in the game. You stay at it. You know, one of the cruelest and most self-condemning statements that some men make when they leave their spouse is they say this to her, I have never loved you. And when they say that, what they're trying to convey is, you know, really I've never found you to be lovable. But in actuality, what they're really saying is I I do not know anything about the love of Christ, how to know it, how to show it, and how to grow in it. Friends, if we're going to mature and thrive in our families, we've got to love like Christ loved. There is a knowing, there is a growing, there's a communicating, there's a serving. Let me give you a a third uh, commitment. And Matt uh, covered this in good detail last week here. There is growing and knowing Christ. Look at verses 15 and 16. He says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let Christ, his peace, be the dominant factor in your life. And how do you know God's peace? You know God's peace when you trust him as Lord. When you see that he's the Lord of your life, that allows you to realize somehow he's going to work these things out for his good and his glory. He's going to use this to develop holiness in me and he's going to exalt himself. And peace, God's peace that surpasses all comprehension, becomes part of your life. And so he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And if you want one word that'll really change your perspective, look at that word. It's the word thankful. When you stop griping and complaining, like I wish I had it different or whatever, but you actually are thankful, 
you're going to find that God's peace starts becoming a prevalent factor in your life. And if you want God's peace to rule in your hearts, look at verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. It is like the GPS system that is going to take us where we need to be. God's word guides us. And he says, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That is an attitude of personal worship. Mature Christians learn to thank God and relate to God as they go through the day, not just Sunday morning. And it's God's word that feels like a song in their heart. And you become different. You become likable. You become lovable because the peace of Christ is reigning and ruling. It is at home. It is dwelling in your hearts by faith. And then let me just uh, also point out one other commitment, and that is found in verse 17. And that is this, that if you want to have a family that thrives, you want to have, be growing in your commitment to glorifying God. Look at verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do, word or deed, that pretty much covers it all. Whether you're on vacation, you're at work, you're playing golf, you're uh, exercising, whether you're watching TV, when you're just hanging out with a family, you're going grocery shopping, the mature Christian sees everything they do to exalt God. You can exalt God while you're doing your job. In fact, he wants to be on display. And when they talk about the name of the Lord Jesus, in biblical times, a name was considered an extension or an expression of that person. And that's God's design. You and I, holy, beloved, chosen, we're to be an expression of Christ in our community and especially in our families. And then if that's going to, if, if, that's, if that's your mindset, like, yeah, you know what? It's really all about Jesus. If these commitments are things that are starting to grow and mature in your life, then finally, and this is what we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come, you want to be growing and fulfilling your roles beginning in verse 18, wives, husbands, children, parents, because you have got the right perspective. You are growing in the right direction, and God's word becomes life and a sense of direction for you. So my question to you is, will you make a commitment to grow? Will you? You know, your spiritual maturity and the health of your relationships is dependent upon that answer. But relationships are designed for much more than your happiness. They are designed for God's glory and his people's holiness. And when you see a thriving family, I mean, they're doing well, you know that that didn't happen by accident. Uh, That is something that they worked toward. They are always working toward. They are making decisions as an act of their will to love. In the book Sacred Marriage uh, by Gary Thomas, and he has influenced my thinking, I, I really recommend that book to you. It'll challenge you. But he writes about this, these trees up in Washington and up in the northern Cascades up there. And these trees, they get to be like really old. Like there's a particular, one tree in particular, it's 700 years old. Now, in most forests, the trees only make it to like 60, 70 years because the lightning strikes and they you know, burn the whole forest down. You know, every year, every summer, right? There's another major wildfire, and that's all kind of part of the natural process, and all these trees just get destroyed. But these trees, they seem to survive. In fact, they got this one, they even got a plaque in front of it because it survived 700 years. Why is that? Because it's always being drenched by the rain. Its environment in which it lives thrives even when lightning strikes. And I'll bring this to your attention because you know what? 
Lightning is going to strike your relationships, your family, your marriage. There's going to be temptation. There's going to be sexual temptation. There are going to be problems. There are going to be misunderstandings. There's going to be unrealized expectations. Lightning is going to strike. What kind of culture and environment in your family is it going to hit? If it's all dry and you've jettisoned what this text says and you don't take it seriously, we're probably going to have a wildfire on our hands. On the other hand, if you take these principles to heart and you ask God, would you do a work in us and through us, you're creating an environment where your marriage and your family will thrive. And they put a sign in front of that 700-year-old tree. You know why? Because it went the distance. It made it. Friends, that is my prayer for you and I that we make it for the glory of God through the power of Christ. So remember this, your relationships, they're, they're, they're much more than your happiness. They are for God's glory and they are for your holiness. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for an amazing passage of scripture. God, would you allow us to experience its full weight? May we find ourselves time and time again going back to this because this is what you're seeking to accomplish. And we know that if our heart is abiding in this and we're growing in this, that what you talk about in roles of relationship and it's tough stuff, they actually can become reality because we are fully given to you. So God, would you have your way in our lives? For the many times that we've fallen short, thank you for forgiveness that we have in Christ. God, would you change us? May as a result of us going through your word, make us much more like your son. Would you be glorified in our midst? Would you make us holy in your son? We ask this as we pray in Jesus' name, amen.